So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Okay, listen, everybody, I don't know if you've realized it yet, but the 2015 federal election is now less than 100 days away. And you know that in the coming weeks here on Canada Land Commons, we're going to be doing a lot of looking ahead to that election. We are going to talk about some issues, big and small, specific issues, abstract issues, things that you should probably know before the 19th of October. But before that, we wanted to take some time this week, just the two of us, to look back on a few big events how they've shaped our politics in the last few years, and how they might impact the upcoming election. Desmond, I want to talk to you about Justin Trudeau taking over as the leader of the Liberal Party after they were decimated, smoked, annihilated, disemboweled, whatever you want to call it, in the last federal election. And I want to talk to you about the voter fraud scandals that we saw during that last election, and then the creation of something called the Fair Elections Act that happened in the aftermath of the scandal. And we're going to get into the impact the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report might have, if any, at the ballot box this fall. Man, it's just like old times, me and you kicking it on the sofa. Let's get into it. I'm Desmond Cole. And I'm Andre Demise. And this is Canada Land Commons. This episode is brought to you by Audible, the world's largest online audiobook service. One book that listeners of Canada Land Commons might like is Wages of Rebellion by Chris Hedges. In this book, Hedges argues that rebellions come in cycles. In this case, in the modern age, Hedges thinks that the dominant force that people are most likely to rebel against are actually corporations. You can read this book or any other one in Audible's 180,000 volume collection for free with a 30-day membership. Just visit audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand to get started. Once again, breaking news, the man convicted of orchestrating robocalls that misled voters in the 2011 federal election has been sentenced. In August, Sona was found guilty of willfully preventing or endeavoring to prevent an elector from voting. They were directed to incorrect polling stations in an effort to help the conservative candidate get elected. You can't scapegoat some young kid. It's the conservative party that has the access to who was making the calls and when they were making the calls. It's the leader of the Liberal Party who is making these allegations. Surely he has the evidence for the allegations he's making. Okay, so Des, I'm watching you over here. You're like shaking your head, and I can see a whole lot of rage bottled up inside you. So why don't you just why don't you just kick it for a second? How do you feel about that? Uh, can I kick it? Yes, you can. All right. Well, I'm upset because that was one of the biggest 
incidents in the history of politics in this country for me. Allegations right after an election, the last one that we had, of fraud, of people being led intentionally to go to the wrong place to vote. A judge said that the fraud occurred, but that there wasn't enough of it to change the outcome of the election. Of course, what happened after that, though, which was truly amazing and shocking to me, was that the conservatives introduced what they called a Fair Elections Act. So you have this kind of buzz about, oh, was there fraud? Wasn't there? Do we have problems in our electoral system? And the government responds by creating new law, not to make sure that parties don't commit voter fraud, but that voters don't commit voter fraud. There was no allegations of any kind of widespread voter fraud on the part of us in the last election, but one of the staffers of one of our political parties actually got convicted And they made laws being like, we've got to make it harder now for Canadians to be able to vote because we're worried about their fraud, not fraud on the part of political parties, in this case, a conservative staffer. Yeah, I'm going to shake my head a little bit. I I would not necessarily say that these two items are directly linked to each other, that there was clear voter fraud in the last election and that the government said, here is our new laws to stop that from happening. Okay, you're not going to say that, but I definitely will. The allegations of voter fraud and then the convictions for voter fraud actually did happen. And then not very long after that, we were introduced to the Fair Elections Act. So while the government might not have said, well, this is what we're going to do in response to these allegations of fraud, it's not hard to think that with voter fraud being heavy on the public's imagination, this is meant as like a salve. This is supposed to be like at least a partial solution to all of this anger out there that voting fraud happened. You know, if you had let me finish, I was going to say that. But hey, you know, whatever. (laughs) It's good. Sorry. You got it out. Okay. Why as a voter or why as a Canadian should I feel so in my feelings about this the way that you are right now? To me, the Fair Elections Act, it's a problem for this election because it actually didn't target the problem. The problem in the last election was that somebody working for political parties was trying to mislead voters. Instead of solving that problem, what you do is you take something called a voter information card, which is something that gets mailed out to a whole bunch of us. And we're allowed to take that information card to our polling station and say, this is my address. I'm going to vote now. And this new law says you shouldn't get to use that card to prove who you are and to prove where you live. And I even say prove who you are, and I kick myself, because ID for an election has never been about proving who you are. That's paranoid 21st century BS. Identification in an election is about proving where you live. And this whole paranoia that we have now, that people are not who they say that they are, that's going to screw up a lot of people in the next election who want to vote and now don't have this really easy way of showing what their address is. Our government right now is telling everybody, oh no, we just want to make sure you have some ID to show at the polls, and we think all Canadians believe you should have to show ID. The hundreds of thousands of people who used that voter information card in the last election also showed ID. They just used the card as a secondary piece of ID because it was mailed from Elections Canada, and it was really good proof. And lots of seniors used it, and lots of First Nations people used it. And to now get rid of it and to say you're making our elections fair and you use that word? Like, give me a break. All that they're doing is disenfranchising people who may not vote for them. 
an election should be a really easy thing to participate in. All of our politicians seem to say that at some point or another, but they don't actually believe, in some cases anyway, they obviously don't believe that it should be easy to participate. They actually think that it would be better to make it really hard and only have the people who are worthy of participating to vote. Keep in mind that every single time an election happens and then somebody doesn't like the outcome, what's the first thing that happens? People say, well, if you didn't vote, then you have no right to complain. And at the same time, you want to talk out of the other side of your face by saying, well, we need to make the process more strict. We need to make sure that the people who are showing up to the ballot box are the ones who deserve to vote or the ones who should be allowed to vote. And this is one of the things that I hate about all politics in our country is that we actually don't talk about anything like we are a community, like we're a family. We're a group of sheep to be put into a line and managed properly. And that's the only way that you could say that identifying yourself is more important than an open and accessible election. Justin Trudeau, the new leader of the Liberal Party of Canada. There appears to be a lot of liberal enthusiasm for the party's new leader, but Justin Trudeau faces an uphill battle, right? His party still lags far behind the NDP and the Conservatives in the number of seats in the House of Commons. Neither party is going to give them up without a fight. I think a lot of it's going to depend on what kind of qualities Justin brings and what kind of policies he's put forward, because it's been, it's been well noted that there wasn't a lot of substantial uh, presentation from Justin during the leadership. It was more on the style side of things. And I've known Justin for years, and he's, he's famous for being famous. Now the question becomes, uh, what does he do? <laughs> All right, man. So you're card-carrying liberal. Yes, this, I am a card-carrying liberal. This is the biggest thing to happen to the Liberal Party in more than a decade. The Liberal Party went from being the so-called natural governing party of this country to getting their bums handed to them several elections in a row and falling to a low status that we've never seen from them before. And then this incarnation, this savior, this young, cute guy. He's cute. Oh, yeah, he's cute. Come on. Let's, let's be <laughs> honest about this. And his name is Justin Trudeau. A name that everybody recognizes because, of course, his father was Prime Minister Pierre Elliott. So he comes onto the scene. It's got to be one of the biggest factors in the election that's coming up is what do people think about Justin Trudeau, the new kid on the block? <sighs> okay. I'm going to preface this by saying that I worked on the Justin Trudeau leadership campaign. I would call up voters and then they would ask me, okay, well, why should I why should I support Justin Trudeau? I'm like, because he has a vision for the country. Well, what is the vision for the country? He's going to bring us all together. And the thing is, like, I just, I was so filled with hope and optimism that it really didn't matter to me what this dude's policies were because it's a leadership race. Like, you don't have to really have policies in a leadership race. You're going for the most magnetic and charismatic character. All of that said, since then, man, I feel like I really have come to regret that decision. It wasn't even the support for Bill C-51. I think my dislike for what the party stands for goes back to before this. And that's when Justin Trudeau came to Toronto to speak to the Black Business Professionals Association. But he didn't actually take any questions. Nobody was allowed to ask him, so, Mr. Trudeau, like, how do you feel about carding? Or how do you feel about changes to the immigration laws? Hey, how do you feel about the fact that we're so far behind the rest of the country as far as education, health outcomes, and yada, yada, yada? Like, nobody got to ask him a single damn question. You know what's interesting about that is that my first encounter with Justin Trudeau was actually when he came to Toronto to a hotel to give a big speech about what he called liberty and about the problem of the conservative government making Muslim people out to be a threat to our liberty when really, you know, they're 
just Canadian citizens. And it was an important thing to say at the time because we know that many conservatives have been saying very Islamophobic things in public and making legislation that targets Muslim people. Justin Trudeau's folks told the media we won't be taking any questions after he gives this speech to like a thousand people. Yeah. I actually went up and scrummed him anyway because that's what you're supposed to do. That's what Desmond does. That's what I do. But what actually happened was that Justin Trudeau turned on the internal tape recorder that he was hiding somewhere and just played me the same canned response to my questions over and over again instead of trying to talk to me. It sounds like somebody is just playing me what they think. The focus group would tell them to say if they're asked a question that's difficult to answer. Just taking it back to the speech that you talked about, uh, Desmond, where we talked about like Islamophobia being used to play the politics of fear. The part that just obsessed me about that is, do we see any remedy for that whatsoever? Like, Did, did we see the liberal party say that we're going to try to be more inclusive or we're going to be reaching out to the community or like here's what we're going to do to set ourselves apart from the conservatives no what happened right after that it was well we're going to go along with everything the conservatives want on blessing 51 for now and hopefully if we get elected then we're going to make some changes to that Look at the fact that, for example, when the conservatives changed the tax-free savings account contribution maximums, the liberals spent like weeks talking about how income splitting and tax-free savings accounts are a boon to the upper middle class who doesn't even really need the money. And what about the rest of Canada? Well, I don't see any policies from the liberals addressing poverty. I don't see anything from them that says, you know what, my family out in Rexdale or my family out in Malvern or wherever the heck are going to get something out of voting for the liberals. Like they're going to see some sort of alleviation of the crippling poverty that some of them are living in. Well, they do want to increase a lot of the childcare benefits, for example. Yeah. They talked about that. Okay. I, I get that. But increasing childcare benefits to me is not uh, an issue that addresses poverty. I'm sorry, I just don't think so. I think that having universal childcare, for example, can address poverty, but increasing the benefits, I mean, look, it's like it's like trying to divide by zero. If you don't have the money in the first place, trying to increase the benefits by like 50 or 100 bucks a month ain't going to make that much of a difference to you anyway. I'm so underwhelmed. I just I hate the idea that you can go after the dominant party and attack them for not addressing issues in the middle class and not in- addressing issues of poverty and trying to play the politics of fear against this particular group. But you're not introducing anything that's going to solve or help that. Like, I just got to say, what I'm getting from Justin Trudeau so far is that the man is all talk. You have to admit, Andre, that whether you and I like it or not, this is a popularity contest. Okay, I get that. But guess what? There's three white men leading the three biggest parties here. This is about who you think looks like a leader, who you trust to do the right thing, who can we trust with our country. Come on, man. That's a lot of what this is about. My man, I get that this is a popularity contest in some ways, but this young, tall, bright and charismatic and attractive leader of the Liberal Party, well, his party's currently right in third. So guess what? We need to see a little bit more than that. This whole approach, like if people want to attack me or get upset at me for being on Justin Trudeau's case, well, yeah, I get that he has released a lot of policies in the last few weeks. Like, don't get me wrong here. Like, I get that he has released uh, policies talking about how he's going to help the middle class, for example. I'm just sick and tired of financial policies approaching this this ghost of a thing that we call the quote-unquote the middle class. The middle class, if you hear anybody describe it, can be anybody making from like $30,000 a year to like $250,000 a year. Everybody thinks that they're the middle class. But when you gear policies towards the specter of the middle class, you end up leaving out people who are living in poverty conditions. Let's actually talk about like how can we help the least of us in this country? How can we help the people who are riding the bottom edge of that economic ladder? You know, when Jack Layton was still around, Jack Layton used to say working families 
And I used to think to myself, if I hear Jack Layton say the term working families one more time, I'm going to throw this TV out the window because it was this mantra. And it was also about the middle class. And it was also about appealing to essentially voters, people who actually cast a ballot. And I'm not here to defend that as saying that it's right. I'm only saying that they do it because they're targeting the people who vote. They're targeting the people who are listening to them because a whole bunch of us have already written them off. And that's the reason that he's doing it. It's an election year. But that's what makes me so upset, though, because at least part of what I supported Justin for was the idea that you could bring in people who are so disaffected from voting and have been turned off to the idea of politics altogether because no one's out there trying to fight for them. And it seemed to me like that's what the promise of the leadership was, was bringing in people who normally are not involved in this process. And guess what happened? As soon as an election year comes around, we're pandering to the same old people that are already in the process and want to hear, okay, so what are you going to give me, Mr. Politician from the Conservatives? What are you going to give me, Mr. Leader of the Liberal Party with the cute here? What are you going to give me, Mr. Beard Dude? And Everybody else who's been looking at this process and is sick and tired of it is seeing the same act repeated over and over again. It was supposed to be different this time, and that's what makes me so upset. I can't come back on that, man. We got to talk about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which we have previously on this show. I highly recommend you listen to that episode if you haven't already. I want to talk about this now because this is one of the biggest things that's ever happened in our country. With their own money from the largest class action settlement in the history of our country, First Nations and Indigenous people say, we want to create an official investigation into what happened in residential schools, into the legacy that that's left behind and how we can fix it. They use their own money. And we got the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which came after thousands of people testified, told their truth and said, Here's the legacy of residential schools. Here's how they're affecting everybody today. Here's what we need to do. This won't be an election issue. It's not sexy. It's not going to be the kind of thing that somebody leads with in their platform and says, if I'm elected and if our party is elected, this is going to be a big priority for us. It'll probably happen in front of certain audiences. And actually, we have a clip of our uh, party leaders in Justin Trudeau and Tom Mulcair addressing the uh, Assembly of First Nations just this past week. And here's what some of that sounded like. I commit to you that a liberal government will work with you to build a renewed relationship based on trust, respect, and mutual understanding in the spirit and intent of the original treaties. I want to go back to that day at Rideau Hall during the closing ceremonies of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. I was struck with profound hope that day. From this government, that hope was misplaced. A new era will mean the days of her Prime Minister dictating to Indigenous communities will be over once and for all. We need a new era, and it starts with listening. The first step is quite simple. Help me defeat Stephen Harper on October 19th in ridings everywhere across this country. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission, I'm not going to say it was a non-political thing, but it was a thing that existed into and of itself outside of politics. It was simple facts like this is what happened in residential schools. This was the impact that it had on the indigenous community. And then there were recommendations. Okay, Canadians who are so sick and tired of hearing native people complaining all the time, 
and not knowing exactly what it is we're complaining about or what we want. Here, here are 41 recommendations we have. This is exactly what we want. This is what it is outlined. And then after hearing all that, Thomas Melcare wants to get in front of a mic and say, all right, so in order to fix this, go out and vote for the NDP and we'll make it okay for... Are you out of your... Lord... Give me the strength to put up with politicians that view everything through the lens of voting for this party. I'm sick to death of every politician who hears that there is a problem saying that the remedy for that is to go out and vote for me and I'm going to fix it. And I just got no faith that anybody who shows up to the ballot box this October is going to see a change happening because of voting for Mulcair or Trudeau. I have no faith when it comes to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission because, as you say... There are specific recommendations. There's things that you could pull out of that. And hey, pay attention now, everybody, because both Justin Trudeau and Tom Mulcair, when they addressed the uh, Assembly of First Nations recently, talked about missing and murdered Indigenous women. That is one piece of this conversation. It's an important piece, and it's one that should have happened a really, really long time ago, years ago. But... I feel like that's the showpiece now, okay? What about some of the other recommendations from the TRC? What about turning over responsibility and jurisdiction of child welfare today to Indigenous people? Is anybody who wants to uh, talk about these issues going to commit to that? Is anybody going to commit to ratifying UNDRIP, also known as the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. Like, if you want to show us you were paying attention to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, that might be actually the biggest thing that came out of it. So why don't, why don't you throw that up there in the front of your platform and show people where you really stand on this issue? It's for that reason that I don't trust anything is going to change, because you have things like, we'll do an inquiry into this one recommendation, but when it comes to things that would address the entire framework of how we deal with indigenous people and how we relate with them, we're not willing to talk about that. All they have to do is pick up the recommendations and say, let's pick five or six of these in the first year that we can get done. And here's what we're going to put out to the people during the election, because this was such an important thing done by people of our country, by themselves. After having suffered through Canada's legacy of cultural genocide, which I'm very comfortable calling it, after all of that, and then taking the money that was awarded in a clash action settlement to have a very long and very in-depth discussion about, well, what happened and then what needs to be done next. Like, Indigenous people did Canada's homework for it. Exactly. And after they present all the findings, you have the nerve to fix your mouth and say, well, what you need to do next is this. No, take some goddamn responsibility for yourself. You should be the one implementing the recommendations. Don't ask Indigenous Canadians for another thing. They've already done too much. I guess this is just one of those times where I'm grateful to be able to project my voice out into the atmosphere and to have people listen. Because the people who have the biggest platform to do that in this election, who are the leaders of political parties, they could be talking about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission every day. But we live in a country where we have a very cynical media culture and where I know People will say, but is this playing with the broader electorate? I don't give a crap if it plays. I'm just happy that we can raise this as an issue and say, in our ideal world, this, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, being one of the biggest things that's happened in this country since I've been alive, that it could at least be on the election radar. I know that that's not going to happen. Look, 
This is why we talk about Canadian politics being so boring. Canadian politics actually are not boring. If you pay attention to what happens in this country, we, ha- we a lot of stuff happens out here. But I think that Canada sort of curates its stultifying boringness by taking every contentious thing and every wrongdoing that occurs and trying to do as much as we can to sweep it under the rug so that we never have to talk about it again. The fact that this is not a central election issue for all three parties, it, it just tells me that we would rather not deal with our issues as they come up. And we just want to deal with what we think the middle class, you know, like doing well enough for themselves, but one little bit more. The voters who already show up to vote, let's just give them what they want and ignore everything else. Listen, there's still time. Maybe I should be more hopeful. We still have a lot of time before the parties roll out their complete platforms. It is not too late for parties and leaders to make the recommendations of this Truth and Reconciliation Commission a major part of their political platforms. I am cynical about whether or not that will happen, but man, would it be a nice, refreshing change in this country if we were to see that in this election year. Amen. So that's our show for this week. If you'd like to carry the conversation on, and we love it when you do, check us out on Twitter. Search Canada Land Commons. It will be the first result you find. Thanks very much this week to our producers, Imogen Burchard and Katie Jensen. And thanks as always for the addictive theme music by Nathan Burley. You can check us out online at canadalandshow.com. You can also send us emails and we highly encourage that you do. We read all of them. Don't always respond in a timely fashion, but we love them. I'm Andre at CanadaLandShow.com. And I'm Desmond at CanadaLandShow.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher, on iTunes, or wherever you find podcast goodness. And if you like the show, contribute. That's Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. We need the love. Show us the love. We're greedy for your reviews. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell people you talk to about politics that this show is out there. The next CanadaLand Shortcuts is going to be back on Thursday. And Canada Land Commons returns next week, Tuesday. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.